0: If you've got a Bible with you, you might want to be turning to the book of Mark and chapter 11. If you've been with us over recent months and probably years, uh, you'll know uh, most of the time when I've been preaching, I've been looking through the book of Hebrews or the letter to the Hebrews Uh, over the last little while, Dan, with uh, help from uh, Tom and Ben and Blessan and Maybe Grant as well. No. Tom and Ben and Blessan, I think, had been looking through the Songs of Ascent uh, and the Psalms. I came to the end of that series. We've uh, seen, gone through all those different Psalms leading, which the people were singing leading up to going to Jerusalem. And if you remember back a, quite a while, before that, Dan was going through the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. So what we've decided for this time is we're, we're kind of going to come together and pick up that uh, the rest of Mark's gospel. Uh, but we will go back to Hebrews at some point. We will get back to Hebrews chapter 10. But for now, this, as it's kind of been titled, sorry, go back one, Will, sorry. The way of the cross, this whole last these last few chapters of Mark, from Mark chapter eleven, we're kind of looking at the whole, effectively, the last week of Jesus' his earthly ministry, his, his him being physically present uh, as a man on earth, his him leading up to going to the cross and then beyond. Follows on as, as kind of Ben picked up as he started back into the into Mark last time. Uh, two weeks ago i think it picks up so well from coming off the back of the S- songs of ascent that sense this is what jesus would have been doing he was coming he w- he had been coming to jerusalem like the uh, like all those uh, hebrews before and and at the same time would have been singing those songs would have been kind of remembering all that god had done and all that he was about And as Ben picked up, Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and he comes, he enters Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and everyone 's crying, "Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father david there 's this wonderful welcome and this wonderful sense of Jesus coming to Jerusalem And we 'll pick up where Ben left off with in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12. Uh, I'll read it now, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll get going, looking at what this passage is saying to us. So, did I just? I did just say Hebrews, didn't I? It's it's hard to change. Change is always difficult. Mark chapter eleven. I'm not in Hebrews. Mark chapter eleven, verse twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that they that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you 've received it, and it will be yours and When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins okay so we 've already seen uh, two weeks ago, Ben was talking about that jesus is he 's on the front foot Jesus is on the front foot here suddenly where perhaps he's been in Galilee, he's been doing miracles, he's been doing things publicly, but perhaps any confrontation with the chief priest has been a, he's in there and he's gone and he's back to Galilee. We see through John's gospel, we see all these, uh, particularly in John's gospel, we see all these different occasions when Jesus was in Jerusalem. He kind of pops up here and there and he makes maybe a big statement or does a miracle and then suddenly he's gone again. Now Jesus is on the front foot. Jesus is pressing in. He's entered Jerusalem. He's made no pretense about who he is. He comes in riding on a donkey. The people are declaring, look who's coming. Hosanna. Blessed is, the, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then we see here. He's not exactly laying low. He's not exactly keeping quiet. He's on the front foot. He's stepping out in radical action. Being, there's a provocative nature about it. But we get this quite interesting story that traditionally people have kind of puzzled over massively. What is this fig tree all about? Because initially, if we look at it, and we walk through it, we see Jesus, he leaves Bethany, he's hungry, he sees a fig tree. Can we put the fig tree picture up? He sees a fig tree, and it looks great, it's full of leaves. It looks wonderful, and he goes up, and he thinks, maybe there's some fruit. Like those figs, obviously, on a fig tree. But he gets there, and he finds nothing. There's only the leaves. But then Mark kind of tells us, well, this is pretty normal because it's not the season for figs. And we get what seems, if we just look at it to start with, a pretty petty, irrational, over-the-top reaction. Well, okay, if I can't have figs now, then no one can have figs again. So there. It can kind of look like that on face value. And then as the story continues later on, we find, well, no one else would have figs. The tree's withered. It's dead. And you kind of look at it and think, what on earth is this all about? It can kind of, we can kind of think, oh, yes, Jesus. So often this can be our reaction when things don't go our way. Something goes wrong and we think, oh, this is terrible. And we kind of throw our toys out the pram and we kind of think, this isn't fair. And something bad should happen to you. We think, is this what Jesus is doing? And it's a powerful reaction. Well, he does this. And we see, yeah, well, the fig tree gets it, doesn't it? And if we just look at it in, on its own and think, well, Jesus doesn't get what he wants, so Jesus tells the fig tree, well, you're going to die. It can kind of appear to justify or give us a license to deal with anything we don't like with a harsh and, and also powerful response. Let's follow Jesus' example. But as we look at the story in more detail, we see we com- if we do that, we completely miss the point. We completely missed the point. It's not this is not just or this is not Jesus irrationally losing his temper and deciding that oh well, if I can't have it, no one can. I'm taking my toys home. He's not throwing his toys out of the pram. How many cliches can I put in one sentence? Nor is he giving us scope to do the same. And we see Mark is so wonderfully helpful in the way he lays out his gospel. In that we see the story of the fig tree, but Mark's sandwiches in the middle. Look, Jesus in the temple. In fact, we see in Matthew 21, Matthew, the, 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 the stories are right next to one another. But Matthew doesn't use this kind of literary form where he's put, where he sandwiches the two together. We see they're right next to, they're they're so close together. And again we see from Matthew the same point being drawn. Look, these two things are about the same thing. But Mark helps us so much by saying, look, focus in on what's important here. The fig tree story is just sandwiched around this incident at the temple. This is what it's all about. We've seen that before in the way Mark draws our attention to, to the woman in Mark 5. We see a story of two healings. Jairus, this respected leader, comes up to Jesus. My daughter's sick. And said, yes, I'll come. I'll come. And eventually we see that Jesus does come and he heals the daughter. But in the middle, look, focus in the importance of this poor woman. Jesus says, look, she's just as important. Look. And Mark helps us by focusing us in on that. And he does the same here with this incident at the temple. So we see what could look to us initially as This looks like a pretty petty act from Jesus. It doesn't seem in character. It seems a bit strange. But let's focus in on what the real focus and point that Mark is drawing out for us and Jesus is bringing us through what he is teaching. In verse 15, we hear that Jesus reaches Jerusalem and he enters the temple courts. Now, just to help us, next picture... This is a picture from the ESV study Bible. But it's a helpful thing. When we've been walking through Hebrews, we've been looking at, we looked a little bit at the tabernacle and then the temple that followed it. And you could see the bit, the tabernacle originally was made up of a room, an outer room called the holy place and an inner room called the most holy place. When Solomon built a temple, it had a holy place and a most holy place. But then you started to see these, courts building up around it. And then when Herod, who built the temple in Jesus's time, built the temple, built his temple, you see actually the temple bit is just a big tall building in the middle or, or at the back. The bit that we would remember as the most holy place and the holy place, the bit where the priests went in. But surrounded was this massive place, this huge area I've just put the temple courts there. That's kind of the start of the the temple courts. There was a court where where the men of Israel could go in. They could see something of what the priests were doing outside the temple. Then outside that, you see this area with the four big towers in it, which was known as the court of the women. This was as far as women could go into the temple. And they could come into there. Then, as we see outside, we see a wall. In fact, this wall here at the bottom and i'll start wrecking my microphone that was as far as gentiles could come and outside that was an even bigger court which was the outer courts of the temple where which was as far as gentiles could come in and as far as everyone is concerned people have commented on this and everything this is where jesus is at this time He's out in these outer court, in, he comes into the temple courts. I've kind of slightly unhelpfully labeled just that in a bit as the temple courts, but he's in the wider temple courts and everyone's convinced he's in the court of the Gentiles. That's where this, this trading is going on. This is where all this stuff is happening. And what do we see there? Jesus comes in and straight away he's coming with some pretty radical action. He sees all this stuff going on, there's trading going on. It was in one sense, the trading had to happen somewhere. It was coming up to Passover. People had to come. They had to change their money into the right money to pay the temple tax. They had to come and they had to buy sacrifices to come and offer. All these different things were happening. But Jesus comes in and he just says, Look, bro, I'm getting I'm not happy with any of this. He comes in and he is not pleased. He comes in, he finds a temple area that is busy, seemingly full of life, but Jesus isn't pleased with it. Again, we see Jesus on the front foot. He's entered the triumphal entry, he's come in, he's making a declaration. Now he comes to the temple and shows in no uncertain terms he is not pleased with what he sees. We see his passion and emotion there. He's turning tables over, he's scattering doves, he's, he's, t- he's stopping people saying, no, you can't even carry this stuff through here. He sees the worship of the people. He sees the whole system of the temple and the worship there. He sees the court of the Gentiles turned into a market. And he's not happy. Perhaps outwardly, to people around, it would appear that everything's going on as it should be. Well,. This trade in the temple is enabling the the Hebrew pilgrims who are coming to Jerusalem to come and worship at the temple. Isn't that what should be happening? And actually we start to see that like, like that fig tree in leaf, it looks healthy. It looks healthy and it looks, looks as it should be. It looks fruitful. But Jesus' point is, it's not. So what does Jesus teach? What is Jesus upset about? We start to see as he starts to teach. As he taught him, verse 17, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? Well, reading that straight away, we could be led to think that Jesus is just focusing on some dodgy dealing that's going on in the temple. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, but look, look, you're just cheating everyone. Well, perhaps, perhaps that was going on. Perhaps these traders weren't as honest as they might have been. But actually, if we dig deeper into it, And in fact, it's hinted at by Jesus doesn't just confront those who are selling. He starts clearing out all of those, those who are buying, those who are selling, those who are just carrying things through. He's not happy in a much broader sense. This isn't just, we can look at the term den of robbers and think, ah, yes, these, these dodgy traders who are keeping money for themselves, or they're overcharging everyone, or they're not doing everything quite as it should be. If the trade was right, then it would be fine. Actually, Jesus is getting to a much bigger issue. He tells us, is it not written? He's not just making a statement, he's quoting from the Old Testament. And he quotes these two wonderful, well, wonderful in different ways passages. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He's quoting Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 is a wonderful passage which just speaks of the welcoming of outsiders, the welcoming of foreigners, of of saying that there is salvation possible for so much more than just the Jews. It comes in verses 6-8, to we see uh, part of that is the quote that Jesus quotes. Isaiah 56, verse 6, And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And the Sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. We see Jesus pointing to this beautiful picture of, it was always meant to be much more than just Israel. It was always meant to be much more than just the Jews having having a place to worship. More than just Israel, having a place where it was our temple and we can, we can bring our sacrifices. And what does he contrast it with? There's this beautiful picture of foreigners and the foreigner and the alien and the, the everyone from outside being welcomed in. And they would have recognised that and they said, oh yes, yeah, that's what you said about about this it would be your house of prayer for all nations, then he hits them, yet you 've made it a den of robbers, and they would have understood where that was coming from as well. The chief priests and those listening would have understood these quoting from Jeremiah chapter seven. And you see that he contrasts this wonderful picture of people being welcomed from all nations. Of his house house being a house of prayer for all nations. With a stark picture. A terrible picture of worthless, false religion. Let's read Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 2 through to 11. So this is Jeremiah. Jeremiah was told to go and proclaim this to the people of the time. And he starts here, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, well, this is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave to your ancestors forever and ever but look, you're trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we're safe, safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Jesus isn't just, he's certainly not just making a petty action against a fig tree. And he's not just a bit upset that the people trading might be a little bit underhand in their trading. Jesus is bringing a stark judgment on the people of God. He's bringing an image Of the Jews of the day. Focused on themselves. Focused on the system of temple worship. Focused on making sure they dutifully do the necessary rituals. Let's make it easy. Let people buy the things here. They can just, yeah, okay, get one of them, go and do it. Turning the court of the Gentile, the place where foreigners could come in into a marketplace for the Jews. Jesus is telling them bluntly, you've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. And so if we look and see the fig tree again, in that light, Jesus comes to a tree looking for fruit, and he finds none. None. Then he goes to the temple and instead of finding a house of prayer, a, a people of God focused on him and, and the nations that they're to reach. He finds, as he says, a den of robbers. He finds the people who have missed the point, the people who are not following him. And we can see the fig tree in a new light when we understand how relevant it would have been to them as well. The fig tree throughout the Old Testament and figs as fruits were used throughout the Old Testament to describe the people of God. Later on in the book of Jeremiah, we see Jeremiah in Jeremiah 24. God gives him this word. He talks about two baskets of figs. they figs that were so good. They're wonderful. He uses it to describe the exiles who've been taken away. I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to be faithful to them. Then a basket of bad figs. The, the people left in the land at the time. Zedekiah the king and the people with him. And understanding that God was going to deal with them. It says, but like bagged figs, verse 8, which are so bad they cannot be eaten, says the Lord. So I will deal with Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials, and the survivors from Jerusalem. used as a picture of, of those faithful to God and of those who aren't. Good figs and bad figs. And again in Micah chapter 7. Test myself if I can find it again. Micah chapter 7. There's one, there's this description. It's God looking for faithful ones. What misery is mine? I'm like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. We see perhaps a picture of Jesus going to a fig tree looking for early figs. He finds none. He goes to the temple. He's not finding the faithful ones that he wants to. He picks up that specific point of being a light to the nation, a blessing to all nations. That was always the point when God called Abraham. You're going to be a nation that blesses all nations. But the Messiah, God's son, comes to Jerusalem and finds instead the people of God focused in on themselves. Focused on doing the things they think they need to do, not focused on God and what he is doing. And so Jesus condemns all that's going on, just like Jeremiah did all those years previously. It's a word of judgment on the temple and the people. It's part of Jesus revealing himself. Jesus has now come. Jesus has come. He's saying, Look, all of this, you've got it wrong. And more so, you can't get it right. You need me. But ultimately, we see in the Mark passage that ultimately they don't recognize him. Jesus comes in and he shows them, look, you haven't got it right here. Jesus, the lamb, the saviour who we've been singing about this morning. The son who has come, the God who the people are professing to worship. is standing in front of them. He's standing in front of them. And they don't recognise him. Instead, they, the chief priests and teachers of the law began looking for a way to kill him. They're afraid. A picture of a people in desperate need for a saviour plotting to kill the saviour. Jesus is bringing in this story, thank you, John, (laughs) a message of judgment against the people and the temple. We see, actually, Jesus has come. The old is passing away and the new has come. There's a hint and a, a suggestion we're just getting hold of. Look, Jesus is coming with something new. We've been looking at that as we look through the letter to the Hebrews as well. That sense of, look, there was the tabernacle and the temple and the system of going. Jesus comes and says, look, you've not got it right. This isn't, this isn't the way. I've come. I've come. We see, in effect, the one who carries the presence of God standing in the place where God's presence had dwelt. The new has come. Jesus is there. So we see the fig tree story and the temple in it is not a story of a petty reaction from Jesus. It's not a story that tells us, oh, well, when things don't go my way, I can just deal with it like, like Jesus did. No, Jesus is showing us something through this. This is not a petty, pointless act. He's showing his judgment on the old system. On the old covenant, look, there's something better coming. And for us, what do we see? Throughout this whole passage, Jesus is looking for fruit. Jesus is looking for fruit and he's calling for faith. He's Looking for a people who know God and turn to him with their whole heart. A people faithfully living for him. He goes looking in the temple and he doesn't find any figs. But for us, now we are the people of God. If we're in Christ, we are the people of God. Without him, we're nothing, but in Christ, we are his people. And we're called to be a fruitful people. Full of faith. Just quickly, you put the other slide up, Will. Three things from this passage He calls for a people with faith in Him, a people with a heart for others, and a people who forgive. Jesus is looking for faith. He comes in, he enters Jerusalem, coming to the temple as the promised Messiah. He's caused a big scene there. He declares judgment on it and on the people. And in the process, he's caused the fig tree to wither. Look, see the power of this one who comes. Jesus is on the front foot and he says to his disciples in response to it, "Believe, Belief. Belief. Peter looks at the fig tree, he's amazed. What, what has happened? Have faith, Jesus says. Again, again, we could look at this. If we just take it, the fig tree itself, we could say, well, we can ask for anything. We could just, well, whenever we're upset about something, we could just ask for it. Believe it. What happened? Jesus is focusing us in, no, look, focus on me. Where are you putting your faith? Have faith in me. He goes to the temple and he finds a people who don't recognize him. He's looking for faith from them. And the people who don't recognize him. They don't believe. They don't see him. Jesus is calling for a people with faith in him. Terry Virgo posted this on Facebook or on Twitter or Twitter and then Facebook, however it works, this week. No amount of religious activity can settle a troubled conscience. Only repentance and faith in the blood of Christ wipes the slate clean. Jesus comes in and shows, look, I am the way. I am the way. The people don't recognize him, but for all who do recognize him, there is life in him. And believe him. Do we, do we understand who we are trusting in? That is point to Peter at the end, have faith. Do you see who I am? Do you see the power that I have? I'm God. He looks also for a people with a heart for others. Part of what Jesus was so upset about in the temple is he sees a people who are just turned in on themselves. Are people turned in on making their system work for them? The court of the Gentiles turned into a marketplace for the Jews to buy their sacrifices. I was challenged again while reading this. Just challenged again. How much am I focused on seeking the lost? How much am I focused on welcoming in all who Jesus is calling? How easy can it be to turn in and just be focused on all that I need to do to keep going? In thinking about that, just in preparing, I was drawn again. Just makes it sound like while I'm preparing, I'm just looking at Facebook all the time. It's not true, but I did see on Facebook while I was preparing. <laughs> Andy Davis, who many of us will know, some will know very well, um, posted up on the anniversary of the Aberfan disaster. If you don't know about that, one day in the sixties, when 1966, a a pile of kind of waste coal was disturbed by the, the rain and all the water that was in it and just flooded down the hill right over the top of part of the village and over the school. And he posted up this story about a man, the Reverend Kenneth Hayes. I was just challenged by this. This isn't a specific exposition of this, but it highlights something of our looking out for others it says in the, in the story that he put, that was posted up, the Reverend Kenneth Hayes was a minister of Zion Baptist Chapel in the nearby village of Merthyr Vale. He and his wife Mona had two children. Seven year old Gwillem was at home recovering from an operation, but his nine year old brother, I'm going to struggle with Welsh names, Diffrig, was at school. Panklas Junior School. The school that was destroyed. Like all the other parents, Kenneth and Mona rushed to the scene and saw a school drowning in coal, stone and big buildings crushed by the force of the now silent avalanche. Kenneth spent that day on his knees, using his hands to dig into the rubble to recover bodies. Vainly he searched for Diffrig who had lost his life that day. But for the next three days, Kenneth visited every family affected by this tragedy, compiled a list of all the dead children and adults and helped in forming a relief committee. He sought to comfort the bereaved, even as he and his wife were dealing with their own hammer blow of grief. I read that, I was in tears. And I just, this is not a pressure to say, whatever you're facing, someone else is facing more, or anything like that. But it was a call to my heart, and I pray to yours as well. Jesus, give me more of your heart of compassion. For those around me who are suffering for the lost who need you, it's all the Jews were turned in. We've got to keep. this is our temple. This is our system. Too right, we should have a market here to make sure that we can worship in the right way Jesus looks for a people with a heart for others, with a heart for the lost, with a heart for the poor. Jesus would just lift our eyes again. To see, oh Lord, I want your heart for the lost. I want your heart for other people. So I'm not just focused on me. And thirdly, Jesus calls for a people who forgive. And in doing so, I think he just destroys that whole picture of, ah, Oh, here, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a way we can just get petty vengeance. That's what Jesus is doing, isn't it? No. No, he so clearly isn't. And in his response to the disciples, he, he tells them, yeah, when you pray, have faith. When you pray, have faith, but this isn't about asking for the things you want that will get it over on anyone else. It's destroying the idea that the fig tree was just about Jesus getting his own back on the tree. He wasn't. It's about doing the will of God. About seeking him. About, uh, about having faith in him. They call for a people who forgive. This isn't a... We're not, we're not to use this as any justification for a revengeful attitude. But again, coming out of a heart for others, we forgive one another. And we go after Jesus. Jesus looked for fruit. He didn't find any there. He found a fig tree without fruit. He found a people and a temple without fruit. Unfruitful, unfaithful. But the good news is that Jesus has made a way. We are his people. He told them, you aren't doing this and you can't do it, but in me, you can have life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. The old has gone and the new has come. Father, as Jesus stood in the temple Bringing in a sense, judgment and condemnation. As he would go on so even clearly to say on the temple, no stone will stand on another. The temple was going to be destroyed. But more than that, he was bringing in a whole new covenant. Lord, we want to be a people in Christ because of that new covenant. Because of what he has done. Who are living for you. A people who trust in you. A people of faith. A people of faith who know that your message is to the whole world. A people looking outwards to see all those who you are calling. See the lost who need you so badly. To see the poor who are in desperate need. To see each other in our time of need. Oh Lord. Lord, would you work in our hearts? Lord, would you challenge us this morning? Lord, that we would go out of here a people whose eyes are fixed on you. Lord, as we worship, would you minister to our hearts? Lord, would you speak to us, Lord? Thank you, God. You are such a glorious King. Thank you, God. Let's worship him together as we close.